Today on the Matt Wall Show, New York Magazine published a celebratory profile about a woman who violently mutilated her own body, and the story only gets worse from there. Also, Joe Biden addresses the nation about the threat of the extremely mild Omnicorn variant. Bill Gates moves the goalposts on vaccines in hopes that nobody notices. And the woman who created Sex in the City has regrets about her lifestyle choices, and then apparently regrets expressing those regrets. And a Lutheran pastor delivers a homily in drag. And then in our daily cancellation, we, we will ask and answer an important question. What are the worst Christmas songs and movies? The answers may surprise you. All of that and more today on The Matt Wall Show. Well, you might think that the holiday season is a time of giving, but, you know, it's also a time of taking for cyber criminals looking to cash in. Some tips to help you stay safe while holiday shopping include only visiting secure sites and apps from retailers you trust, using a VPN instead of public Wi-Fi, creating strong passwords, and checking your bank and credit accounts for fraud. Because every day we put our information at risk on the Internet. In an instant, a cyber criminal could steal what's yours, sometimes even harm your finances, your credit or even your reputation. Good thing there's LifeLock. LifeLock helps detect a wide range of identity threats, um, things that uh, you might not be able to check on your own or you might not even think about on your own, like if your social security number is for sale on the dark web. If they detect your information and has been potentially compromised, they'll send you an alert. And um, if, God forbid, something does happen, they have dedicated restoration specialists that will help you if you become a victim. Nobody can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but you can help protect what's yours with LifeLock by Norton. Join now and save up to 25% off your first year by going to lifelock.com slash Walsh. That's lifelock.com slash Walsh for 25% off. So take my hand now and follow me down this rabbit hole. It's going to take us to some dark and horrifying places, but there are lessons to be learned along the way. And we begin in the present day with a journalist who now goes by the name Gabrielle Mack and identifies as a man, though she is a biological female. Gabrielle is uh, featured on the cover of the latest issue of New York Magazine in a story which she penned herself titled, My Penis, Myself. I didn't need a penis to be a man, we're told on the cover, but I needed one to be myself. Now, the article goes into graphic, gory detail about Gabrie uh, Gabrielle's quest to surgically masculinize herself in order to vaguely approximate the appearance of a biological male. I'll read only as much of the piece as is needed to get the point across. Uh, I will tell you that the first line is this. On the day that I heard my penis would be huge, I sobbed. That's the first line. Yes, I mean, what man cannot relate to that experience? You know, you're actually a man if you select your penis out of a catalog rather than simply, you know, being born with one. The article goes from there and it gets more bizarre and certainly a lot more nauseating. Here's a, a few morsels and I'm kind of choosing bits somewhat at random. But, um, but here they are. Uh, at one point she says, I could not have gotten my boobs cut off fast enough. And I spent weeks before my 2019 hysterectomy up late in bed, hot and sleepless, fantasizing about the moment the medical waste disposal team at UC San Francisco would batch incinerate my uterus, which swirled with dysphoria like nausea from the depths of my soul. But just as you might feel an automatic no if a doctor offered to cut one of your healthy arms off for you, when I thought about cauterizing, excising, and sewing closed my vagina, my whole body cringed. Wrong. Well, yeah, that, that is certainly wrong. At another point, we're told, the whole process is constant body horror, Barian, a nurse, said at one point, after he told me that the penis tip discoloration I was worried about might just be tissue that's dying off, which is also fine. And this was a recovery with no complications that required surgery. The overall proportion of fallow phalloplasties, that's uh, the, the, what they call the surgery where they make a fake penis, that needs surgical revision while lower for some surgeons, including mine, is about one in two. The highest number of corrective follow-up surgeries needed by anyone I know personally is 12. So did you get that? One in two of these surgeries has to be corrected. And there are people who have 12 corrective surgeries. Well, that's totally normal, right? 12 corrective surgeries? She also talks about the controversy over this procedure, even within the trans community. Um, she says, phalloplasty in general, it was clear, it was hard for people to accept. Well, I will love you no matter what, sweetie, a cis female best friend of mine said when I told her I was transitioning years before. Quote, as long as you don't get a d One flatly demanded, don't get a d It was another trans masculine person I used to know said, disgusting, insane to want. 
And to have a surgeon make a, a, a sensate phallus out of your arm or leg or somewhere and Franken-stitch it to your body, to go so far out of your way to opt into a tool, perhaps the tool, of so much suffering is wrong, she said. Most transmasculine people didn't get one. The seminal print trans mask magazine was named after not getting one. It's called Original Plumbing. I saw trans masculine support groups shut down and go silent more than once when someone brought up the procedure. And later, when I was that someone, I was twice invited to leave with other people who might want to talk about that. Now, so she doesn't hide from the fact that uh, this procedure is dangerous, where they make a fake penis and they stitch it to your body. In fact, the procedure kills people. But that also seems to be a potential perk from her perspective. She says, it has happened at least once that someone did die from the procedure. I was fully ready to, by which I mean I just spent nearly the last of my savings, which I'd burn navigating the uh, social, medical, legal, extreme, mind, F show of transitioning on a burial plot just in case. So she bought herself a burial plot before the procedure. Again, totally normal. One of the nodding heads in the group belonged to a non-binary white person who was still horizontal in recovery from having had a week prior the worst happen, which was that after their procedure, in which all the fat and skin had been stripped from their left forearm from wrist to nearly elbow, along with major nerves and artery and veins, and then shaped into a tube and connected in careful layers to skin and blood vessels and nerves in their pelvis, their new penis had failed. It died on them. But here they were, already getting ready for their surgeons to harvest a whole other part of their body within a month with zero hesitation. Because those three, day, those three days they'd had their penis, they said, before being rushed into an eight-hour surgery that couldn't save it, the feeling of it, even just for one moment, even still bloody and painful and packed with stitches, made it all worth it. Now, if this all sounds totally insane... Um, then get a load of this line. She says, but when penis is self, as penis is a gift to self, it's a gift too to others. Hmm. My penis is a gift to others, she says. There's a, an interesting pickup line, I guess you could try. And yet penis is self is the more revealing phrase here because she sees the self as being contained within a sex organ. Penis is self. That might be, if I, if I had to pick any three words to sum up the leftist ideology, it might be that. Your self is contained by your sex organs, or in this case, an artificial sex organ. A sex organ constructed from flesh hacked off of your own body. Now, this is probably a good time to show you the picture if you haven't seen this, uh, if there could possibly be a good time for that. Here's the cover of the magazine um, with uh, Gabrielle Mack, and, and you see... Uh, her in her underwear with a, a huge hole dug out of her thigh there. You can see that in the, in the thigh. But you also notice something else, the sad thing here. If we can select just one sad thing from this tragic, grotesque spectacle, and, and that is that she still doesn't look at all like a man, right? She has wide hips, kind of an hourglass figure. Um, she's very small and petite. Now, she doesn't look like a woman, certainly, but neither does she look like a man. She's in sort of a gender purgatory. What, what we find is, is that we can reject the gift of our own physical selves by mutilating our bodies. But what we cannot do is create a new self. You know, when it comes to ourselves, we have only the power to maintain or destroy, not to create. If you, to, if you choose to destroy yourself, you'll be left with this which is what all trans people who get surgeries are left with. You're left living in a prison of your own making, stuck like that forever. But I told you this story gets darker, um, and it does. Gabrielle Mack has extensive experience doing violence to herself. In fact, back in 2011, when she was still a journalist named Mack McClelland and uh, still identified as a, a woman, she wrote an article for Good Magazine where she describes staging her own violent rape. Now, McClellan wrote at the time that she met a woman in Haiti when she was in Haiti. Uh, you know, uh, uh, I think she was working for Mother Jones and she was as a journalist in Haiti stationed there. And um, a year prior to this, so 2010, she was in Haiti and uh, she met a, a woman who had been gang raped by a group of men. 
Now, this experience meeting this woman supposedly caused trauma for her, for McClellan. She was the one who had the trauma. And after talking it over with her therapist, as she explains in this article she wrote, the two decided that the best way to overcome this trauma would be to stage her own rape. And so she enlisted a helpful friend to have violent sex with her while suffocating and beating her. And, uh, and she went through with it. And she says the experience was cathartic and healing. Now, what this tells us, first and foremost, is that McClellan is a deeply disturbed, mentally ill person. And we would have known that even without her background of therapeutically raping herself. But that detail drives the point home, I think. But then again, I think, I think mentally ill is kind of too broad a category to be useful here. More specifically, we should say that, that, that McClellan suffers from a very potent and very toxic mix of psychotic narcissism and self-loathing. And those two things not only can go hand in hand, but almost always do. She's a narcissist because she's totally obsessed with herself. She can't think about anything but herself. That's all she thinks about. It's all she writes about. A woman in Haiti was gang raped. And somehow that became a story about her and her own trauma. She fetishized someone else's rape and then wrote about it proudly in a magazine. This is such a perfectly narcissistic move that it ought to be included as an example of the word in the dictionary. But she also hates herself. That's why she wanted to be beaten and brutalized. She's turned on by the idea of someone abusing her because she despises her, herself. She says that the fake rape was a successful form of therapy and, uh, and she was healed from the experience. Not surprisingly, that turns out to be untrue. Because she spiraled from there, spinning around in circles of self-loathing and narcissism until she committed the ultimate act of self-hating narcissism by mutilating her body and attempting to construct a brand new self out of the pieces. You know, constructing a self out of the pieces of the old self, like her body was nothing but a box of Legos or a potato head doll. She sees the self not as a complete and coherent thing, but as fragmentary. A collection of arbitrary parts, each meaningless in its own right, adding up to a whole, which is also meaningless. Of course, there's a very serious logical problem with all of this. Well, I mean, many logical problems, but here's one. We're told that gender is meaningless anyway. We're told that penises have nothing at all to do with manhood. We're told that a penis is, is only arbitrarily associated with being a man. It has no actual bearing on the matter. So what's the point? of the operation. Isn't getting a penis in that case like getting a beak or feathers or having a th three additional fingers attached to your left hand? It's a totally random and unnecessary bodily addition, which has no inherent meaning whatsoever. That's what gender theory tells us. And yet gender theory also propels women to chop off their breasts and have fake penises attached to their crotches in an effort to be men. It's totally confused. And that's by design. Can any thinking human look at this disturbed person and listen to her story and conclude that sex change surgery is what she needed? Should it not be clear that her sickness is in the mind, not the body? Isn't that obvious for everyone who seeks out these kinds of procedures? It is, of course, but the argument starts to feel futile when you realize that the people pushing this kind of Frankenstein butchery aren't making any sincere attempt to help the mentally afflicted people who seek it out. They aren't worried about the logical problems, much less the moral problems. It is, in the end, all about destruction. So when I sit here and say this is destruction, what they say is, well, yeah, thanks for noticing. Destruction of the so-called gender binary. Destruction of truth, of science. Destruction of beauty. Destruction of society, of civilization. And it all begins at the most fundamental level with the destruction of the self, which is what we have here. Now let's get to our five headlines. I'm not one to keep up on the trends. You've probably noticed that, especially celebrity trends. But recently, I have learned about an under-the-radar under investment that some of the ultra-wealthy have been quietly funneling their money into for generations. And it really piqued my interest. Famous folks are known for touting their art collection. But you no longer have to be a coastal elite to invest 
in one of the oldest asset classes of all time because Masterworks is making adding art to your portfolio, portfolio possible. Masterworks gives investors just like you access to the asset class that had low correlation to the S&P 500 over the past two decades. Uh, Masterworks even achieved a 32% and 31% net return for investors based on the sale of a Banksy and condo piece in 2020 and 2021, respectively. Now you don't have to be a hedge fund ma manager to invest in multi-million dollar paintings from iconic artists like Picasso, Warhol, and uh, Banksy. And even better, Masterworks is giving my listeners priority access to their latest offerings. Simply go to masterworks.io slash Walsh to get started. That's masterworks.io slash Walsh. Before deciding to invest, carefully review the important disclosures at masterworks.io slash disclaimer. So we're going through a little bit of a tough time at home. Um, my wife took our two-year-old daughter to get her first haircut yesterday. And uh, she ended up with a mullet, like a full-on, I mean, full-on mullet is what she ended up with, which is to be expected, I guess, when you take a two-year-old girl to sports clips. And uh, apparently my wife told me, you know, when I, when I saw the, the haircut, she said they, they were giving out free cuts at sports clips. So like for free, there's a reason why, I mean, you get what you pay for, right? And I, I think that's, I think that's true, not always in life, but in certain areas. And um, it's, it's true definitely with haircuts and hotel rooms. Those are like maybe the two areas where you, you get what you pay for. And, and she told me that. I'm like, that, that's something I would do. Bring the girls for a free haircut at sports clips. And so this is what we ended up with. They, they just, they, they mulleted her without asking. Um, and I found out when my wife sent a picture of our daughter to a group text with her sister and uh, her mom and, and, and my brother-in-law. And my wife was pretty devastated by it. And all I did was send uh, Joe Dirt gifts because that's what she looks like. I don't know what else to do. We're, we're, we're picking up the pieces now and moving on with a daughter who looks like uh, the Tiger King. Nothing you could do now. I mean, you could shave it all off, go with the buzz cut. I'm not sure. Though I am told that, 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 that I guess mullets are in now. I mean, it's, it's a trendy thing. I guess that, that's why they assumed at sports clips that that's what you want. Um, all right. We'll start with this. Biden gave his uh, speech about Omnicorn yesterday, and uh, let's tune in and watch a little bit of that. And again, to folks who are not vaccinated, you might think you're putting only yourself at risk. But it's your choice. Your choice is not just a choice about you. It affects other people. You're putting other people at risk. Your loved ones, your friends, neighbors, strangers you run into. And your choice can be the difference between life or death. The longer the virus is around, the more likely variants form that may be deadlier than the ones that have come before. Let me say again and again and again and again, please get vaccinated. It's the only responsible thing to do. Those who are not vaccinated are causing hospitals to overrun, become overrun again. I just spoke to the governor of New York. Every COVID-19 hospital means someone with a heart attack, cancer, or other serious illness may not get that bed and that life-saving care they need in the hospital. Look, let me give it to you straight again. Omicron is serious, potentially deadly business for unvaccinated people. Okay, uh, first of all, where do you even begin? We, we heard from the CEO of, uh, that, that runs the, the, the um, organization, which, which runs uh, like dozens of hospitals in New York yesterday. And, uh, and he said that they, they're, they're at like 10% capacity with, with, hotel, with, uh, with hospitals, rather. Like it's, it's not a problem. Everything's fine as far as hospital capacity goes. So that's a lie from, from Biden. But then we have this, as he says, he's, well, I'm going to shoot it to you straight again. It's like he's shooting it straight, and, uh, but they say a different thing every day. And so, again, we run into this problem where they say, where he says, well, get, get the vaccine because uh, that's going to protect other people. And if, it, it's, if it's protecting other people, then that means, right, that, uh, that supposedly that the vaccine is stopping the spread of the virus. If it's about protecting other people, and yet, if it stops the spread of the virus, and it stops you from contracting the virus, then why do you have to worry about protecting people who are already vaccinated? Why, do, why is it my job to protect a vaccinated person? 
That's what the vaccine is supposed to do if it actually stops the spread of the virus. But then again, if it doesn't stop the spread of the virus, then getting the vaccine makes almost no difference in terms of protecting other people. Because whether you're vaccinated or not, you're still spreading it. They still, they, they cannot be honest about it and just say, listen, if you're in a high-risk group especially, uh, here's what the vaccine will do for you. It's not going to stop the spread, but it, it might make the, uh, the, the illness less severe. That's what it's going to do. But, you know, you could spread it whether, whether you're vaccinated or not. But fortunately, Omnicorn is, uh, is, is very mild and is, is a cold. That's, that's basically what it is for most people for all intents and purposes. They can't say that, but they are, they are starting to shift the goalposts a little bit. So here's Bill Gates with a, uh, a, a thread on Twitter yesterday talking about Omnicorn. And he says, uh, just when it seemed like life would return to normal, we could be entering the worst part of the pandemic now, he claims. Omnicorn will hit, a, hit home for all of us. Close friends of mine now have it. And I've canceled most of my holiday plans. I bet you have. Omnicorn is spreading faster than any virus in history. It will soon be in every country in the world. The big unknown is how sick Omnicorn makes you. We need to take it seriously until we know more about it. Even if it's only half as severe as Delta, it will, it will be the worst surge we have seen so far because it's so infectious. In the meantime, we all have to look out for each other, especially the most vulnerable, whether they live down the street or in another country. That means wearing masks, avoiding big indoor gatherings, and getting vaccinated. Getting a booster gives the best protection. And then here's this. There will be more breakthrough cases in people who are vaxxed, which sounds concerning, but it's purely a factor of how many people are vaxxed and how fast this variant is spreading. Vaccines are designed to prevent people from getting seriously ill or dying and are doing that well. Okay, that's, that is a, a straight up lie. That's not why the vaccines were designed. Um, they, they, were not, they were not specifically designed to prevent people from getting seriously ill. They were designed and they were sold as preventing people from getting sick. That's, that's what they were designed to do. That's, what, that's how they were sold originally. That's how people like Bill Gates sold them. That's why we call, that's why, uh, you know, early on, and he uses the phrase here again, but we, we haven't heard it quite as often recently, but early on, especially when we heard about people still getting sick with the vaccine, they called it a breakthrough case. Bill Gates want, wants to hang on to that language, but you don't, you don't hear that phrase very often anymore because everyone's contracting it, whether they're vaxxed or not. So this is a, a giant shift of the goalposts. And uh, again, we're supposed to not notice Oh, the vaccines all along, I mean, all they were meant to do was just prevent, prevent uh, serious illness. Which they do prevent serious illness. So you could, you could say that. You could say the vaccines prevent serious illness. Okay, great. But to try to pretend that that was merely, solely the point and the design of the vaccines from the beginning is not true. But they can't be honest. They'll never be honest. Uh, mayor Lightfoot in Chicago is the latest Democrat mayor to institute segregation policies. And uh, here's what she says. Uh, we didn't want it to get to this point, but given the situation we find ourselves in, we have no choice. Beginning January 3rd, you must show proof you are fully vaxxed to enter bars, restaurants, fitness centers, and entertainment recreational venues where food and drink are served. Um, then she says, to put it simply, if you've been living vaccine-free, your time is up. If you wish to live a life as with the ease to do things you love, you must be vaxxed. This health order may pose an inconvenience to the unvaccinated, and in fact, it is inconvenient by design. Yet again, a little bit of, uh, a little bit of honesty pokes through. You know, you got to wade through a whole bunch of BS to get to the little, little glimmers of honesty and, uh, and we get something here. We get a little bit of honesty here where she says, that's, that's what this is really about. It's about inconveniencing unvaccinated people. And she's right about that. I mean, not so much inconveniencing. I mean, being excluded from all aspects of society. Being told that you cannot publicly participate in society. That's a lot more than, a, than an inconvenience. I mean, just think about how the left reacted 
when one gay couple in one town in Colorado were not able to get one type of cake from one bakery? Was that, was that a mere inconvenience? No, this was, in fact, the, the phrases that they were using, this was exclusion from society. They weren't able to participate in society. It was oppression, persecution. We need a Supreme Court case about it. Because one gay couple couldn't get one type of cake from one little bakery in one town in Colorado. There were like 50 other bakeries they could have gone to within a 10-mile radius and gotten everything they wanted. And in fact, within that one bakery, they could have gotten any cake they wanted. They just couldn't get that. they, They were not able to get a custom cake for this particular event, which was a gay wedding. I don't think Lori Lightfoot, if she chimed in on that, was going to call that an inconvenience. No, that is exclusion from society if you're a gay couple. And yet, being told that not only can you not get a cake from the bakery, you can't even walk into any bakery in the city, and you also can't walk into any other place in the city. That's a mere inconvenience, right? So that's not the honest part. Um, the honest part is, is at least that she's admitting in so many words, that this isn't actually about keeping people safe. It is about punishing unvaccinated people. Unvaccinated people are not complying. And uh, that is that is very distressing and infuriating to Emperor Lightfoot, Lightfoot and her fellow despots. And so they're going to punish you for it. That's what it's all about. All right. Let's go to a different mayor. This is incoming New York Mayor Eric Adams. Uh, He gave a press conference yesterday and defended his position on putting inmates in solitary confinement. So people on the left have been going after him for this um, because he is actually, despite being a Democrat, basically a law and order Democrat. There are very few of them that exist anymore. Uh, He is one. And here he is um, addressing that. And the, the, the Democrats and the left, they, they, they don't really like what he had to say here. We'll talk about that in a minute. Let's, let's listen. For people to continue to say Eric supports solitary confinement, that is just a lie. I support punitive segregation. I am not going to be in a city where dangerous people assault innocent people, go to jail, and assault more people. You cannot have a jail system where someone sexually assault a staffer, slash an inmate, and then say, it is all right, I'm going to give you an iPad and just hug you and say, don't do it again. No, if you are violent, you must be removed from population so that you don't inflict, inflict violence on other people. That's clear. If you want to work as a partner, call me. Hear my, my understandings and my belief. The one thing that's different from everyone that signed a letter, letter and Eric Adams, I wore a bulletproof vest for 22 years and protected the people of this city. And when you do that, then you have the right to question me on safety and public safety matters. I think I know a little something about this. I'm going to protect my correction officers. I'm going to protect the inmates that are serving time. And I'm not going to allow violent people to do violence and think they can do it without being held accountable. And we can do it in a humane fashion. And if anyone wants to talk to me about that, don't write a letter. Call me and speak with me. That is how we're going to resolve this. There's a body of people that are coming into the city council. They have no desire in moving our city forward. Their desire is to be disruptive. What I am going to do, I'm going to ignore them. I'm going to stay committed, undistracted, and I'm going to grind. If they like it or not, I'm the mayor. What a change of pace from Bill de Blasio to that guy. Uh, unfortunately, he's 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 in the wrong party. I mean, I, I don't know what his other views are. I assume that to, to get elected um, as a Democrat in the year 2021, I have to assume that he's got plenty of crazy left wing views on on other subjects. But um, he's still in the wrong party because th- everything he said there was totally rational. It made complete sense. Um, if you have violent 
people in prison who are, who are violent within the prison itself than to punish them for that and also to protect everybody else, you, ha- you have to be able to, to segregate them. <laughs> of course. But you're trying to communicate this to people who are in, in principle irrational. Like they, they reject rationality in principle. Everything is emotion-based. Which is why they're in favor of segregating like non-vaccinated people who are law-abiding citizens. Uh, we, we could segregate them from every aspect of society. But they're not in favor of segregating violent rapists who are in jail and are raping people in jail. No, to segregate them within the prison is a human rights violation. These are, this is the cognitive dissonance. This, these, these are the competing, conflicting, uh, schizophrenic views held by people on the left and trying to communicate them, especially if you're on their side. There, there's no hope. But the one thing especially that uh, folks on the left didn't like that he said there, and there were Chris Hayes and MSNBC was taking issue with this and lots of Democrats were. Uh, but he said, you know, if you wear a badge, then you have the right to criticize me on this. Now, I agreed with everything he says in that clip. I don't, I don't agree with that part. I don't think he meant it literally. But if you're an elected representative, then anybody has the right to criticize you. And um, you don't have to, you know, work in the government or become a police officer to earn the right to criticize policies that your elected representatives, you know, put in place. Uh, it's, it's a similar thing that when you hear sometimes if, if there's a debate about foreign policy and whether we should go to war or send our troops here or there. And sometimes you hear people say, well, you didn't even serve. So what are you talking about this? No, I don't, I don't need to, uh, to uh, sign up for the military to earn the right to criticize government policy. That's, that's not how it works in America. I don't think he meant it literally. But that's not correct. But it, it also is interesting, though. Because what he just said there, is that not a version of trust the experts? Isn't this, how is that any different from what we hear from the left all the time about, well, you can't, you can't criticize Fauci if you're not a scientist, as if he is one. Trust the experts. You have no experience in this. You know, you're not, you're not paid to do science. You're not a scientist. So isn't that basically what he just said? He is an expert on law enforcement, on uh, you know prison policy, having worked in the field for so many years. He's an expert. But yeah, they, they don't like it as much when you apply it to law enforcement. Trust the experts when it comes to law enforcement issues. <laughs> they're not they're not ready to do that. No, you you have to have a PhD in order to earn the right to criticize. Dr. Fauci. And even if you have a PhD and you criticize him, which many PhDs have, well, then that's only evidence that you you never deserve the PhD to begin with. But to even potentially have the right, you have to have a PhD. But to criticize law enforcement officers, uh, no, you don't need to have any experience. I mean, you know, the the person best equipped to do that is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or someone like that. Interesting how that works. Um, So Jack Posobiec uh, shared this a few days ago. It's an article from 2019 about the woman who created Sex in the City and how she feels now. And this is relevant again because they've got the new Sex in the City spinoff series or whatever on HBO. And um, it's ultra, ultra woke, obviously. But uh, Candace Bushnell is the woman who, who created the, the book that this is based on. And here's what she said in 2019. Um, this is from, I think this is from the Daily Mail. It says, her best-selling book and the racy TV series it inspired taught a generation of women that they could have it all. But Sex and the City creator Candace Bushnell, 60, has admitted that she regrets choosing a career over having children, as she is now truly alone. Um, the former sex columnist, who is worth around $18 million, told the Sunday Times, when I was in my 30s and 40s, I didn't think about it. Then I got divorced, and I, when I was in my 50s, I started to see the impact of not having children and of truly being alone. I do see that people with children have an anchor in a way that people who have no kids don't. So that's interesting. That's what she said in 2019. 
uh, Jack shared this. And then Candace Bushnell responded to that a couple days ago uh, to, to Jack Posobiec. Because she said, why are you retweeting this old story? As a matter of fact, I don't regret not having children. I celebrate it and I encourage other women to do the same. Come see my new show, Is There Still Sex in the City? Which just got a rave review in the New York Times. So she expressed regret about not having kids, and uh, but now she regrets expressing that regret and is is going back on that because, you know, which is, which is um, really a shame. Because, of course, we know the truth. We know she was right before. Like, of course you regret it. There's just no way that you could be now in your 50s and 60s and happy that you're alone. Human beings don't work that way. Being like in solitude, alone, having no one in your life who really loves you or cares about you, especially because you've divorced your husband. So you have no spouse, you have no kids. Uh, I don't know, maybe she has, maybe she might have siblings or something or cousins, maybe she has other family. But they're not in, invested in you. They, they just don't care about you in the same way that a spouse does, that, that your children do. And it's, it's also not about, it's not just about you. It's not, it's not simply that you, that you don't have people caring about you in that way. It's also that you don't have anyone to care about in that way yourself. She was actually quite profound how she put it in 2019. And uh, now she's going back on it because she's got it. Why, why is she going back on it? Because she has another Sex in the City related show that she wants to sell. It's, it's really pathetic on a number of levels. But what she said in 2019 was pretty profound. She says that, um, that uh, you know, when, when people don't have children, don't, don't have an anchor. You know, it's something that anchors you like to this world and gives you a sense of purpose and grounds you in a certain way. And uh, you don't have that. It's true. As I said, you also don't have, it's, it's also about having this, this outlet. Having people to care about, to pour yourself into. Um, people to love in, in, in that special way that parents love their children. And that spouses are supposed to love each other. There's just no way that you could get to your 60s and feel great about not having that. And so we get these little, again, little glimmers of honesty. And then, uh, and then, but now she's saying, oh, oops, I was accidentally honest about that. Never mind. All right. The post-millennial reports this. It says, a Lutheran pastor in Chicago offered drag prayer time for children. Aaron Musser, who was ordained this summer, donned a blonde wig, white dress, and makeup to share in worship with the children in his parish. This is St. Luke's Lutheran Church of Logan Square. And they publicized the event on Facebook. They're very proud of it. Um, let's... Um, Let's take a look at some of this. Go ahead and play. So with many other exhortations, John proclaimed the good news to the people. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated, and I'd like to invite any children or people who would like to see a picture book that I will be showing on the iPad here. Anyone who'd like a closer view of that to come up and sit. Um, um, come up and sit somewhere on the ground here. I have an awesome story to share with you today. I'm really excited to share it with you. I have a question first, though. Have any of you ever seen a drag queen? No. No, is this so? This is everybody's first time to ever seeing a drag queen. Well, hello. Um, I am also a boy most of the time when I'm here, but today I. <laughs> So, the story that I want to share with you today is called Joy. Okay. No surprise there. Female pastors at the church. You got two female pastors and a guy in drag, and um, that's what's going on at that Lutheran church. Um, hey, you know, what, what is there to criticize? It's just a grown man playing out his sexual fantasies at church in front of a bunch of kids. That, that's, what, that's what this is, by the way. I mean, the, the drag, drag and all this kind of stuff. Uh, these these are men who like this is their sexual fetish is wearing women clothes women's clothes um and if that's your thing that you do in the privacy of your own home it's it's really weird but 
You could do that in the privacy of your own home. Nobody's going to know. I, and, and I'm quite happy not knowing. Like, I, I have no interest. I'm not going into anyone's ho- home performing checks to see if they're wearing women's clothes or not. I'm not doing that. So you, you want to be in, in your home doing that, you, you, you can. No one can stop you. But you want to play that out in public, it's a different story. And you want to involve children in your sexual fantasy. Well, now that's, that's really a different story. Because that's, that's uh, pedophilic. That's child sexual abuse. You should go to prison for it, obviously. Um, this would be a perfect time. I mean, if there was anyone in that church who was not a degenerate freak lunatic, um, which, of course, there isn't because they, they wouldn't be in that church if they, if they were. But if there was just one normal person there, this would be a great time for, to hearken back to the Gospels and uh, Jesus Christ overturning the tables in the temple. Uh, because as much as we're told, and for decades now, we've got this false impression of Jesus as this peacenik, hippie kind of guy who's just hanging around all the time. And, uh, you know, non, non-aggressive, telling, telling everyone, hey, chill out, man. Kind of like presenting Jesus as if he's like the big Lebowski or something. As much as that is the impression we're given, that's actually not the Jesus that is portrayed in the gospel. And uh, that Jesus was uh, very passionate about, of course, you know, especially about protecting children, protecting the vulnerable, about the truth. Jesus is truth and the life. Um, but, he, but on top of that, also aggressive at times. Hostile towards sin. Hostile towards evil. And aggressive and even violent on at least one occasion. Because the turning over of the tables in the temple was a violent act. In fact, we're told in one of the stories that he fashions a whip. And it's interesting that it says he fashions it. Not even like he grabbed one, but he actually he took a little bit of time. So there's premeditation here of, of like making this weapon and using it against people. Causing physical pain to them. Well, we can assume to be whipped. So this would have been a great time for a little bit of a uh, turning over the tables in the temple approach. But unfortunately, all the people there are complicit and are also groomers of children. Um, so that's why that didn't happen. All right. Uh, one other story here from The Guardian that says, Harry Potter's favorite sport, Quidditch, is to receive a new name in the U.S. in part because its leaders are critical of the controversial views of the fictional Wizards creator J.K. Rowling, which the U.S. leagues have called anti-trans. And I, I only, I, I just read this headline and I'm, I'm reading it now for the first time. And this only stands out to me because, yeah, it's, it's completely absurd that you know, all these Harry Potter fans that are trying to excise J.K. Rowling from her own creation, like none of this would exist without her. But also, so there are actual people who, who play Quidditch, the Harry Potter game. How much of a dork can you possibly be? That you're not only a Harry Potter fan, but you you spend your free time playing, like it's a bunch of nerds running around on broomsticks. And uh, oh, but they're they have standards though, you know, so a little so, some self respect. That's why we can't we can't allow J.K. Rowling to be associated with this, even though she created all this. Right, makes sense. Before you set out to travel um, for the holidays, if that's what you're doing, uh, do yourself a favor and download the Get Upside app. Because if, especially if you're going to be doing a lot of driving, you can make cash back on uh, every gallon of ga- gas that you pump. My listeners are making up to 25 cents for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free Get Upside app in the App Store or Google Play right now. Use promo code Walsh and get a bonus 25 cents per gallon on your first fill up. That's up to 50 cents cash back that you could get. Don't pay full price at the pump anymore. There's no reason to because you can get cash back using GetUpside. Just download the app for free and use promo code Walsh to get 50 cents a gallon cash back on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot throughout the month are making $200, $300 a month. And uh, there's no catch. There's no red tape or anything like that. They just send the money right to your bank account. Um, or you can use PayPal. You can get an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. It's as simple and easy as that. So just download the free GetUpside app and use promo code Walsh to get up to 50 cents a gallon cash back on your first tank. That's code Walsh. Okay, let's get now to the comment section. Daily cancellations are the law and order of the day. We the 
Uh, so before we get to the comments, I was just given this present from uh, from the crew, Sean McKenna, the rest of the uh, Matt Walsh Show team has given me a present, which I'm very... I'm flattered. I'm also slightly afraid of what could pop out at me. So we'll see. All right. I'm also very bad at receiving gifts, so and now, now I'm doing this on camera, but we'll... Um. Oh wow! This is my. <laughs> uh. I have waited. This is my Nintendo 64. I have waited for like 20 years for this gift. Hold on. This. I'm actually excited about this. Can I bring this home? Is this just a bit, or can I actually bring this home? You can take um, it home. I can bring it home. Okay. And Mortal Kombat. This is from Jacob the PA, who I who I slaughtered in uh, in the you know the new the latest version of Mortal Kombat. So I guess he wants to play me again on the. But I'm even better at this because this one I know. You know we we've been doing these videos where uh, thank you so much. I you know I am deeply touched by this. One. Um, and we've been oh, hopefully I didn't just break it. We've been doing these videos where I play uh, where I play video games. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm actually not as terrible as you might think, but I've shared the story that when I was uh, that when I, when I was a kid, like in fifth grade, um, I wanted a Nintendo 64 for Christmas, and I was told by my parents that you know I was going to get it. And then I and then Christmas morning, I open it up, and it's a Super Nintendo. It's like the old, it's the it's the the old model. And then I go to to school the next day, and like I had already bragged to all my friends I was getting an N64. And uh, they said, well, how's that N64? And so I, I lied. And I, I lived this lie for years where I was pretending that I had an N64. Until finally, you know, and I, I, I even, like, they wanted to come over and play it. I had to, I had to stave them off. Until finally, the, the whole ruse was up. And uh, I've lived with that shame ever since. So now, finally, I have this. And I'm deeply, <laughs> deeply grateful for that. All right. Let's get now to the comments. Okay. Van Pasterman says... Could getting the Omicron variant actually be good for those who had not gotten the original COVID? In my mind, if it is a lesser COVID, then could it, in essence, be acting like a real vaccine in that it helps you build some immunity? Am I way off on this type of thinking? Uh, no, you're not way off on this thinking at all. That's, that makes a lot of sense. But you're not an expert, neither am I. So that's a common sense judgment that you and I can make. But because we don't have PhDs, it, we're not allowed to make it. We have to wait for the people with the PhDs to, to, to like, seven months from now to say the thing that we've been saying all along. And then it's valid. Um, C Squared says, I agree with Matt on the giving guys gifts thing. I get my uncle the same thing every year, chocolate and slippers. The one year I decided to change it up, he was disappointed he didn't get slippers. Yep, just give him what he wants. Although, so a new pair of slippers every year? What, he's got like 50 pairs of slippers now? I, I'm not hating on it. I'm not. Um, I mean, I am a little bit, but we'll move on. Uh, Kayla says, Matt, I told my husband what you said about gifts for husbands and told him that you explained that guys don't care about the thought behind a gift. I then asked him what he wanted for Christmas, and he responded a bunch of thoughts. So thanks for that. I don't know if he's a dad yet, but that is he's ready to be a father, I can tell you, by that, uh, by that dad humor. Top notch. Top shelf. Um, all right. And let's go now. So then uh, some, some other comments, but a whole bunch of pit bull comments, as you can imagine. So we'll read a few of these. This is from Erica says, I was attacked by a pit bull years ago when I was babysitting. The kids and I were outside playing and this dog bolted from a yard across the street and lunged at one of the kids I was watching. I was able to push her away from the dog and then it started attacking me. A good Samaritan neighbor came over, got the kids away, then tried to yank the dog off of me. He was a strong, athletic young male who worked as a firefighter, and he still struggled to get this dog off because pit bulls are so strong, especially while attacking. That alone should tell you that they aren't safe. I'm a small woman, and I don't know what would have happened if he hadn't stepped in. Thankfully, the kids were not injured at all. I needed surgery and still deal with the injuries that I sustained. Um, Dwight says, Matt, regarding the pit bull, as an animal control officer, everything you said about the dog is 100% correct. This doesn't happen every year. This happens every day. The media just picks up a few here and there. PSA, if you live in an apartment or condo, there's absolutely zero reason for you to own a pit bull, German shepherd, or husky. Get a chihuahua. Uh, Ethan says, Matt, as much as I agree with you about human lives mattering more than animal lives, you kind of just shirked off the low number of pit bull maulings. 
by using emotional appeal and graphic descriptive language, the same tactic which you discredit that people use to try and pass draconian COVID measures. 207 years is vanishingly small. You could probably find similar numbers for far more mundane things. Um, Bligi says, the pit bull was a rescue dog that had historically been abused and had a history of violent behavior as a result of the abuse. That isn't evidence of a problem with the breed, but a problem with animal abuse. Pit bulls are favored among dog fighters. As a result, many of them are raised in violent, abusive environments until the fighting rings are shut down. I agree with Walsh on many things, but I find it a bit disturbing how quickly Walsh jumps right on the bandwagon of wanting the government to ban you from owning things that he disagrees with, viewing things he disagrees with, etc. And comparing a pit bull to a lion, please. That's the exact same argument argument the hyperventilating, hand-wringing gun grabbers use when they compare small arms to nukes and fighter jets. Um, Hendy says, love your show. You said 44 people died in Africa, but there's no need to panic. Yet one young one woman gets attacked by a dog, and now I need to put down my pit bull? Makes no sense. And there are different breeds of pit bulls as well, some of which are more aggressive than others. Okay. So I chose the more reasonable uh, pro-pit bull responses. There were lots of unreasonable ones. One pit bull owner actually issued me a veiled, very thinly veiled death threat over it. And I did post a screenshot of that to Twitter so you know that I'm not, I'm not, I'm not being like the squad here and making up death threats. Um, in any case, let's just review a few of the points here in response to both the, the reasonable and unreasonable pit bull owners. And by the way, the fact that pit bull owners freak out like psychotic lunatics when you criticize pit bulls, that doesn't really dissuade me in my view about pit bulls, I have to tell you. So, first of all, statistically, it is a fact that pit bulls are responsible for a hugely disproportionate number of maulings and killings. Hugely disproportionate. There are hundreds of dog breeds out there, and yet well, uh, way more than half of the serious maulings and killings are done by pit bulls. They might not bite the most, and so this is the deflection mechanism used by the pit bull apologists. They, they, what they'll, they'll pull up the data on dog bites, and they'll say, look at that, pit bulls are way down there towards the bottom. Yeah, you might have smaller dogs that will nip at your hand or whatever, and that counts as a, as a dog bite, but that's not the point. Um, when pit bulls bite, it's a very different story, and they do a lot of damage. So the vast majority of people killed by dogs are killed by pit bulls. That's a fact. That's 100% a fact. And many hundreds of people have died that way, including many children. Second, you don't have to tell me, oh, blame the, you know, don't blame the dog. I, I don't blame the dog. It's a dog. I don't, I don't blame the dog. Dogs are not moral animals making moral choices. That, that's, that's the point. That's my point. I'm not mad at the dog. It does what it is bred to do, what it's programmed to do biologically. And that's why it doesn't belong in neighborhoods and communities. I would also say that you shouldn't keep like an elephant in your backyard if, if you live in a townhouse in, in, in the city. Uh, is that because I hate elephants? Do I blame elephants? No, it's just, it's just that that wouldn't be an appropriate place to keep an animal of that type. It's not safe for you. It's not safe for your neighbors. It's not good for the elephant, right? Third, um, when you hear it, it's the owner's fault, not the animal's. Okay, again, maybe that's true much of the time. But that proves my point again. Because these are potentially very, very dangerous animals. Uniquely dangerous in ways that many other dog breeds are not. And they require specialized care. But any old moron can buy one and uh, keep them in any kind of home or neighborhood. Right? Um, and there are plenty of good pit bull owners that have pit bulls that freak out because it is ultimately an animal. And you can't really know what's going on inside the animal's mind or what's going to trigger it. You can't actually know that. But even if all of the, the good pit bull owners had good pit bulls, the fact is that that's just not the way it works. Anyone could go and get a pit bull. There, there, there are no requirements. There are, no, you know, there are very few laws. Maybe in some communities, you know, they, they might have rules in place, but in, in most do not. Uh, and fourth, this, uh, this argument that it's just like guns, that, that's absurd because as we talked about yesterday, you have a constitutional right to bear arms. It's the Second Amendment. There's no constitutional right to bear pit bulls or to bear animals. Okay, there's, there's not a constitutional right to animal ownership. And um, also, guns are inanimate objects. Okay, so there it is all about the user. That's not the case with a dog. A dog is a, is a, a, a creature, a conscious being. 
that can do things and does do things on its own. You can, you can exercise influence over the creature. And that's what training is all about. And you can control them if you have them gated in or you have them on a leash. But that's it. It's, it's really all about influence. It's influence and deterrence. Which is not the case with a gun. It's not just it's not that like a gun won't kill anybody if you if you if you influence it. Like it's this is not it's not about influence. It's about it's fully control with a gun. Um and uh and then fifth, the fifth point is again, you still have not explained what pressing need or reason there is to have pit bulls or to breed them or to sell them or to keep them in communities. I've explained my reason for not. My reason is pretty simple, that hundreds of people get mauled and killed by them, including children, and uh, that's not good. And these dogs are disproportionately responsible for those kinds of things, so I think those dogs shouldn't be allowed in communities. That's my reason. But what you have not explained is that in spite of that, we still need to have dog, these kind of dogs in communities because why? I know, I know you, you like them, you'd prefer it, but, but why do we need that? What's, what is the real downside to not allowing it? That's what I don't understand. Last night, the Daily Wire premiered a very special episode of Candace. Candace Owens traveled to Mar-a-Lago for a face-to-face interview with the former president, Donald Trump, for an in-depth conversation with one of the most censored men in America. Um, here's Candace talking about the interview. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a most special episode of Candace. Today, I'm going to be sitting down and interviewing President Donald Trump. Just something I've noticed, when he is interviewed by anybody, it's never a true journalistic endeavor. On the left, when they sit down with him, they just try to smear him live. They're just looking to write the next hit piece to pretend that he is a horrible human being. But on the right, we have the opposite problem. We fawn over him. We say, when are you going to be president next? We miss you, when are you coming back? Neither one of these represent real interviews, and I would like to change that today. Today I'm going to sit down with him and I'm going to give him a fair but a tough interview with critiques that have come from his own side. I voted for President Trump, make no mistake, but there are tons of questions that need answering. And I hope that I'm able to deliver that to you all today. Welcome to Candace. The interview is streaming exclusively to members at dailywire.com. So head to dailywire.com slash subscribe to join today and start watching. And if you want to show your support for truth seekers like Candace, head to yeswecandace.com to pick up some awesome Candace merch. You get it? That's the pun there. Yes, we Candace. The Daily Wire is fulfilling their promise of continuing to create new awesome content. And Ben Shapiro's newest show, The Search, is no exception. The show is a voyeuristic view of his closest and most influential friends, and him as they share inklings and personal lives over coffee. His great friend Jordan Peterson is the first to join him, and it's truly an excellent watch. So if you want access to this, you got to become a member. Dailywire.com slash subscribe. And finally, as the Biden administration continues to use the pandemic to strip Americans of our freedoms, the Daily Wire is continuing to fight back. We're closing in on our goal of one million signatures on our Do Not Comply petition. And we need your help to get us across the finish line. We're just a few thousand signatures away. Reaching one million signatures will provide a major boost to our legal challenge. We are so close, but we need your help to reach our goal. So, so go to dailywire.com slash do not comply and get your signature on that today. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. So this is our last show before the holiday. So I wanted to do some sort of a Christmas themed cancellation. This is what I do when I'm in the holiday spirit. I cancel things. And I thought about going through a, a list of Christmas songs that should be canceled. But I realized there wasn't much to say. It's simply a fact that the worst Christmas song of all time, the worst song of all time, period, and the one that deserves to be canceled beyond any other, and the song which it ought to be a capital crime to play, is Wonderful Christmas Time by Paul McCartney. There are, of course, other Christmas songs that deserve to be recognized as the rancid ear poison that they are. Feliz Navidad, All I Want for Christmas is You, Mary Did You Know, to name a few. But none of them hold an Advent candle to wonderful Christmas time. Now, I was trapped in an Uber last week um, with a driver who, who had the heat turned up to 87, even though it was like in the 70s outside, and the windows were rolled up, and he was blasting Feliz Navidad while various foul and ominous odors emanated from his person. And he drove in a stop-and-start fashion, seemingly designed to make me vomit, especially because I didn't have my relief band with me. And yet, I would prefer that whole experience, including Feliz Navidad, to ever hearing Wonderful Christmas Time again. 
Wonderful Christmas Time is the laziest song ever written by any member of the Beatles, which is saying something because John Lennon is responsible for Imagine. It reminds me of, you know, the kind of like Christmas song you might scribble hastily onto a sheet of lined paper if you had an assignment in sixth grade to write a Christmas song and forgot about it until three minutes before it was due. And then you go, oh, shoot, I forgot to write one. Um, okay, uh, um, uh, uh, simply having a wonderful Christmas time. Simply having a wonderful Christmas time. Simply having a wonderful Christmas time. There you go. Except if you, if you handed that into your teacher, you'd get an F and she'd send a, a note home to your parents. Instead, Paul McCartney writes it. And makes a billion dollars because every department store in the world agrees to play that song exclusively on loop from November 1st until mid-January. Now, I'm not being totally fair. Simply having a wonderful Christmas time aren't the only lyrics. There are also verses like this one. The moon is right. The spirit's up. We're here tonight. And that's enough. Now, I'm not sure what the moon is right even means or why he's evoking imagery of moons and nighttime for Christmas. But that's downright poetic compared to this verse. The choir of children sing their song. They practiced all year long. Ding dong, 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 ding, ooh, ooh. They practiced that all year long? Really? That's a shame. All in all, it's an atrocious song. But I said this cancellation wasn't about the song, and yet, um, and yet here I am. What I want to do instead is list what I think are the, the top two Christmas movies, and then, um, and then two Christmas movies that, that, meant, that many people have in their top two, but which are, in fact, in reality canceled. So we'll do that. Starting with the canceled Christmas movies. We'll go through these quickly. First, this isn't really one movie. It's like every Christmas movie that has been made at any point in the last 30 years. There has not been a great one or even a good one. Most of them have been downright horrendous, such as Jim Carrey's Grinch Who Stole Christmas, which qualifies as a human rights violation, I think, under the Geneva, Geneva Convention. I tried to watch that with my kids a couple days ago, and um, I became very sad and distraught as I thought about how Jesus must feel. It's his birthday, and this is how we're celebrating it? With a movie that manages to be dull and tedious, but also feel like an acid trip at the same time? But of all the Christmas movies released during the past three decades, I think probably Elf is the top of the heap. In, like, the best. But that only speaks to the sad quality of the heap. On its own merits, Elf is garbage also. It's at best a funny, like, five-minute skit, but unfortunately the runtime is 90 minutes, which is basically every Will Ferrell movie ever. Will Ferrell comedies fall into that common mold of comedy where the story is front-heavy with lots of gags that are kind of amusing. But then in the back half, they realize that they need to have some kind of plot and conflict and resolution. So they jam all of that in in a perfunctory fashion, and the jokes disappear and the whole thing just sputters to a halt. So that movie is canceled. Also, we're canceling Home Alone. Now, it, it, it has enough Christmas cheer to qualify as a good Christmas movie, but I can never get past the fact that the parents never thought to call a neighbor and have them come over and check on the kid. And actually, even better, why didn't they call the house themselves? Now, I know you'll tell me, and I've heard this excuse many times, that the phone lines were down, so they couldn't call. But if that's true, then answer me this. How did Kevin call and order a pizza later on in the same film? Explain that to me. How did he order the pizza if the phone lines were down? These are the kind of plot holes that ruin a movie. And I've tried to explain this to my kids. I've had this exact argument with them. And they just, they, 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 they you know, they can't, they can't uh, wrap their heads around it. Also, uh, speaking of my kids, they saw Home Alone for the first time three years ago. And um, they spent the following year randomly booby-trapping parts of our house to include my son once taking a nail out of the garage and putting it sharp end up in the middle of the kitchen floor where I almost stepped on it. And when I yelled at him about it, he told me that he was booby-trapping it for burglars like in Home Alone. And I said, it's the middle of the day, and we're all home. Okay, the chances of maiming a member of the family instead of a burglar are extremely high in these circumstances. So I told him to take the nail out to the garage, which he did. But then he put it, up, he put it on the floor in the garage with the sharp end up, where I nearly stepped on it again when I was taking the garbage out. So Home Alone is canceled, too, for that. But what are the best? I don't want to end on, on just a negative note. So uh, what are the best two Christmas movies of all time? I think that's an easy choice. Number two is uh, A Christmas Story. The movie is infinitely rewatchable. It's charming. It's funny. The whole story revolves around Christmas. It's also appropriate for the whole family, though it isn't corny or grating. And uh, so that makes it a great Christmas movie. But it, it would be the best Christmas film of all time, it's, if not for The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Rings, specifically the first one which is the number one Christmas movie ever made. 
You know, every year there's this cliched and boring discourse of, around the question of whether or not Die Hard is a Christmas movie. It is. But what we should be talking about is the fact that Lord of the Rings is a Christmas movie. How do I know this? Well, for one, I feel it in my bones. It's part of my lived experience. Two, the Fellowship starts its quest to destroy the ring on December 25th. That's a fact. Go watch the movie again. Three, there are elves. They don't make toys, but they have pointy ears. Four, one of the main protagonists is a magical old man with a white beard. Five, snow is prominently featured in no less than three scenes of the film. So we have elves, a guy in white beard, snow, and December 25th. So it's a Christmas movie, through and through, folks. And the best one of all time, in fact. So, Lord of the Rings is not canceled, but Elf, Home Alone, and uh, Wonderful Christmas Time are. There you go. This may not have been the most important daily cancellation I've ever done, but that's what you're getting because it's my last show before the break. Take what you get and be grateful. Beggars can't be choosers, even on Christmas. And we'll leave it there. Merry Christmas. Uh, Have a great holiday. See you on the other side. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodowski. The show is edited by Robbie Dantzler. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. John Bickley here, Daily Wire Editor-in-Chief. Wake up every morning with our show, Morning Wire, where we bring you all the news that you need to know in 15 minutes or less. Join me and my co-host, Georgia Howe, for daily coverage of all the biggest stories on Morning Wire. Morning Wire. 